fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile Wolfpack, we are thrilled to have on an indie native and the podcast producer of the Colts Blue Zone for Fox 59, CBS 4 in Indianapolis, Joe Hopkins. You've also probably heard him on this podcast if you're a longtime listener of the uh, famous Tear Jerkers segment me and Joe used to crush together. It's been a while since we've chatted, but Joe, how's it going, my man? It's going well. It's good to be back. I've uh, I've been a busy guy, so I haven't been able to be as involved, but I'm still hanging on there and still part of the Wolfpack, I hope. <laughs> Absolutely. Of course you are. You're always a member of the Wolfpack, my man. The original founding member, you always have a place in the pack for sure. That's um, good to hear. That's good to hear. I know, but yeah, so we were, go- we're overdue to catch up anyways. I know we've been t- texting a bunch and kind of staying in touch, but then the news of Andrew Luck, that bomb just drops out of nowhere, and that kind of speeds up the, the football catch-up that we had to get going. Um, and then I know you have fantasy drafts coming up, and you had some fantasy questions for me coming into those. So I say we just dive head in. We'll go to the cult stuff first, kind of cover what our owners need to know uh, for that, you know, the fallout of all that stuff. And then any fantasies questions you have entering the draft, we'll get those on air too. How's that sound? Let's do it, my man. Absolutely. So uh, I just know you're a long time Colt fan. You're an indie native. So before we get into like kind of the actionable items and what we do with our rankings and whatnot, just want to get your like visceral reaction that night when you saw the the bomb drop. Andrew Luck is retired, and how are you feeling about everything now, too? Oh, I, I've been through the full five stages of grief by now. I, I started <laughs> out in denial and disbelief. It was actually my fiance who broke the no- news to me, and I. I didn't believe her. I was like, no, you're, you're looking at the wrong Adam Schefter account. Like, there's no way this right. could be true. Um, then once we confirmed it was true, I, I was pissed. Like, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of Colts fans were. Like, you know, whoever broke the news to Adam Schefter within that Colts organization, I don't blame Schefter. He's doing his job. But whoever gave him that news robbed Andrew Luck of the ability to make his own announcement and to explain for himself because once he got up in that, presser and started giving the reasons and where he was mentally for his retirement it made a lot more sense and, and you start to feel bad for the guy rather than just thinking he quit on us two weeks prior to the regular season so you know then i moved on to bargaining what if grigson had protected this guy better better offensive line yep. the depression phase where our super bowl is out the window and now i'm on to acceptance and i'm excited for the season again I gotcha. That's a very good stage uh, right there. That's an interesting progression, but I think almost every Colts fan can probably understand that that line of thinking there. Um, and so you're excited for the new season, and I guess you got to try to find some sort of excitement in Jacoby Brissett. So we need to know kind of before we get into all the offensive pieces we're already aware of, we've only seen one season out of this guy, uh, and we got to just kind of get the picture of what does he bring to the table? Is it going to be a better Brissett than we saw last time in 2017? What can we expect out there? It'll definitely be a better Brissett than what we saw in 2017. He's, you know, he's now 26 years old. It's his fourth year in the league, third year with the Colts. In 2017, he was acquired September 2nd, and they threw him in the game 
I believe the 10th, the first week of, of the year. So he had really no time to get acquainted to his receivers, to learn the playbook, any of that. He started that following week. So from September 17th on, he was the starter. So A, he had no preparation for the offense he was in. B, the offense he was in is far worse than the offense he's in now. Um, Their line was still terrible at that time. He was sacked the most in the league, 52 times. Um, Now he's walking into an offensive line that gave up the fewest sacks in the league last season. Second of all, you know, his weapons are better. He still has T.Y. Hilton. Um, He still has Jack Doyle coming back from that injury. And he made Jack Doyle a pro bowler that year. They were together. A lot of it out of necessity because he had to get rid of the ball quick. And Jack was just kind of his safety valve. But um, he's got Ebron now. He's got Funches. He just has so many more weapons. I think Marlon Mack at this stage of his career is probably a better runner than Frank Gore was three years ago. He was still old three years ago, and he's still yeah. in the league. So I don't, I don't know how that's going like on. In Buffalo. Sixty-seven back then. Now he's seventy, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he has so much more around him, and he's been able to be with the team for longer. To he knows the playbook. He knows the people around him. The team loves him. Um, he's one of that the leaders in the locker room, which it's kind of rare for a backup quarterback to be one of your leaders, yeah. but that's truly the case in Jacoby. Um, and I haven't even mentioned the upgrade in offensive scheme with Frank Wright and uh, Nick Sirianni in there. So every single way you want to look at it is an improvement in a situation from now to when it was back in 2017. I think that's a a great way of painting those two contrasting situations and why we should expect such vastly different results this time around. And I think one of the biggest is that last one you mentioned, Frank Reich's scheme. I'm I'm a huge fan of what we saw with Andrew Luck. Obviously, the line had a huge part of him staying more upright, but I think the scheme, too, seemed to play a big role in getting the ball out quicker and whatnot. Can you kind of paint our our viewers and listeners a a little bit of a picture of what is Frank Reich's scheme and why is it so quarterback-friendly? Why did Luck have such a great year last year? It's quarterback-friendly for a lot of reasons. Um, Before even the scheme, Frank is just really good at letting players do what they do best. Mm. So that's part of the reason that Eric Ebron had a breakout season is because he didn't ask Ebron to be this complete tight end. They just asked him to be an athletic weapon in the red zone, which is what he is. And so he blows up and has 14 touchdowns. Um, so Frank is really good at putting his players in a spot to succeed and do what they do best. That's why Naheem Hines, uh, broke the Colts rookie record for receptions by, you know, a rookie player. Um, I believe it was 65, something like that. And honestly, I'm not even that huge of a Naheem Hines fan. So he just puts players in good positions to succeed. And then, like you mentioned it, the quick hitting passes, getting the ball out, um, giving the ball to your weapons where they can continue to run and do some of that work for you. Um, You know, Luck previously played in the scheme where it was all about getting the ball down the field and really relied on the quarterback to do more of the heavy lifting. In this offense, it, it lets your weapons do what they do best and do that damage for you. 
Absolutely. And you mentioned everything's better for Brissett. We shouldn't expect a, a 2017 situation, but you had a line in an article. And if you haven't read it, if you're a listener, uh, visit rotostreetjournal.com. Great breakdown from Joe on the site. There was a line I really liked where you said, even you know if the situation's better, there's still going to be less fantasy meat on this bone, something along that nature. Because, I mean, Andrew Luck is one of the best in the game right now. Or not is, he was one of the best in the game. So I, I love that line. And now we got to look at you know what is left on this bone and what could be there for fantasy owners. And I think it starts, obviously, with T.Y. Hilton, the first kind of Colts player coming off the board. Still is generally that case even with the injury. Uh, but unfortunately, in 2017, and just in general when Luck's not there, his numbers haven't been great. In 2017, in fact, he had 10 of 16 games were outside the top 44 wide receivers and fantasy points. So should we be panicking, or should we be expecting better results? And if so, why this time around? I think there's definitely reason to think there will be better results. His, his season still wasn't terrible. I, I believe he had like 900-some yards and four touchdowns, um, mm-hmm. but only 50-something receptions. So a lot of that was just long shots down the field, which was really what T.Y. kind of was earlier in his career as well. You know, We saw that volatility even with luck from week to week when yeah. T.Y. was a younger player. Um, and I think... It's kind of weird to say because he's 29 now, but T.Y. Hilton is better now than he's ever been. He's more well-rounded of a receiver. So a reason to know that they're going to do better this year is T.Y. is a better receiver. Mm-hmm. Brissett's a better quarterback two years in the system. And, you know, he's been working with T.Y. throughout all of training camp because Luck has been out. Um, Luck participated in limited fashion through three of the first four training camp practices, and that was it. It's been Brissett all since then, and it was Brissett through most of OTAs because this lower leg injury of Andrew Lux has been bothering him since March. Mm. So it's really been Brissett to all offseason be able to build up that chemistry with Hilton, and Hilton has had the best training camp of his career. I remember in mid-August he was bragging about he had caught 29 of his first 30 passes in training camp. Um, so he's hauling and everything. We asked him, what happened to that one? He says, I don't want to talk about it. It still bothers yeah. me. So <laughs> T.Y. Hilton is just one of the more underrated wide receivers in the league. Um, and, you know, we talk about less meat being on that bone, and, and that's just got to be the statistical drop-off. Andrew Luck, you could expect another 40 touchdowns and 4,500 yards with Brissett, I think you have to tamper that down to maybe 3,500 yards and 25 touchdowns if he has a successful season. So just that much left on the bone means that much less for everybody. I think you can still expect around 1,100 yards and maybe five or six touchdowns from T.Y., which is solid wide receiver two numbers. But you're right. He's going to have those weeks where he gives you three catches for 40 in, in your wish and you started somebody else. Absolutely. And I was going to ask the, the follow-up then is where can we slide him into rankings? Because I've drafted in a couple leagues since then. I don't know if it's just like the immediate panic effect or what it might be, but I'm seeing T.Y. now fall to round five. I've even seen him in like round six in some leagues. And so like I, I currently have him slided right around. Now I would take Lockett and Godwin, probably Cooper before him. And now it gets tricky after them in terms of like the Rams receivers or Robbie Anderson or Josh Gordon uh, or Julian Edelman. I have above all these guys. I don't know for you personally, where do you kind of slide him in into your fantasy rankings, would you say? 
I would put him kind of right in that tier with uh, Lockett, Godwin. Um, yeah. I, I think he belongs there. He because he's he's better than both those receivers. Mm-hmm. If Absolutely. this was you know if any of those teams could trade straight up, they probably would if they weren't accounting for age and salary cap. He's mm-hmm. a better talent. So first of all, he, he's better than those other two players. And then you look at the situations. He's probably going to still get more volume than Tyler Lockett, or just mm-hmm. as much in that offense. Um, Chris Godwin might get a little more um, because Tampa at Bay is going to be very pass heavy. Yeah, but you know I, I couldn't blame you if you took Lockett or Godwin over Hilton. But he belongs in that tier, and you know I think he belongs right under Julian Edelman, mm-hmm. who you know with his injury concerns, I'm not even so confident about that now. Yeah, I think that's right around where I have. I'm going to bump him up a little bit. I, I had to kind of knee jerk and put him below even Robbie Anderson, but now that you know, hearing some of these things have me a little more confident. The drop off won't be quite as steep uh, this time around with Brissett. And I meant to ask with the Brissett one before we go into our next guy. Some loan owners who already drafted are panicking at QB now. They might have had luck. I actually had luck, unfortunately, in my big league when I drafted already. I had Jameis as a backup, so not too bad of a blow. And Dak was somehow on the waivers. I survived, at least. Uh, unfortunately, not luck, though. I was expecting huge things from him. Um, but if they're, let's say you know all those guys are gone. I'm telling owners to look for Sam Darnold, 24% owned. Matt Stafford, very streamable against that Arizona offense in Week 1. But I, I'm finding some leagues, you know, 14-teamers where there's just nobody out there other than Brissett, do you see him being viable at all in fantasy or what, what could owners expect from him? I think he'll be a weekly streaming option. I might, I wouldn't roll him out week one in LA against that Chargers defense with their pass rushers. You know, kind of want to see how he does, let him get his feet wet first, but I definitely think he'll have some streamable weeks and he even had some streamable weeks in 2017 I mean, he, he wasn't, for a guy thrust into that kind of situation, he was solid. He threw for over 3,000 yards. He had mm-hmm. 13 passing touchdowns, seven picks, and then he added another 260 yards and four touchdowns on the ground. Yeah. So it, it's not like he was god-awful and he has to completely turn things around. He just has to build upon what he does. And he'll mm-hmm. give you a little bit of rushing. Honestly, I think a healthy Andrew Luck is a better athlete than Jacoby Brissett. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can, what Colts fans are hoping from Brissett this year is kind of a, can he be like a Dak Prescott? Yeah. Can he be that kind of quarterback? We know he's not going to throw for 5,000 yards and carry the team, but can he just kind of ride with the team and compliment the team and, you know, lead them in that direction? Maybe Dak Prescott, but with a little less rushing ability. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good point that he can have those leg points, the Konami code, the fantasy owners like to call it. So I, I do see there being some upside here because it's he's surrounded by so many weapons and the line is so much better this time, as you mentioned already, that there could be some sneaky value here. I've stashed him in some leagues where I'm quarterback desperate and just want to see what happens. Uh, I, I can see some upside. I'm with you there. Um, and you mentioned Dak Prescott. He has He's always had the benefit of a ridiculous athlete, uh, the one of the best running backs, maybe the best running back in the game, and Zeke Elliott behind him. 
We're not going to have that with the Colts, but we do have Marlon Mack, who kind of had a mini little breakout there uh, last year, especially from week six on. He returned from injury, was the running back eight in fantasy over that span, had the, the second most touchdowns in the league, actually, with 10 from that point on, seventh most rushing yards with a 785 from week six on. So he kind of had his mini breakout already, but there is some cause for concern now with Brissett there. Uh, there's a stat, our, our good friend of the pod, Scott Barrett, came on and gave us that 70% of Marlon Mack's points came when they were up by 14 or more points, which we can't expect that with Jacoby Brissett quarterbacking. So there's kind of both of those things. We saw the breakout. We've heard the three down back chatter. And then we have these stats that, you know, he was kind of game flowy and needed them to be up big to really be as dominant as he as he was last year. So where do we find Marlon Mack? Is it, is it a mix of those? Is it the, you know, what, what should we expect from this guy? I mean, there, there's no denying that the Colts utilized Naheem Hines in his pass-catching ability, and mm-hmm. partly in order to keep Marlon Mack fresh, in order to keep him healthy for a full season, they will continue to use him on passing downs, on third downs, but Naheem Hines isn't even close to the inside runner yeah. that Marlon Mack is, so they're still going to get the ball to Mack a little more in the passing game than they did last season, just in an effort to be uh, a, a little more unpredictable on offense, you know. Mm-hmm. A big topic of the offseason has been how the Bears will be so much better with David Montgomery because they were so predictable with Jordan Howard yeah. in the lineup. He knew when they were going to run and pass between Howard and Tariq Cohen, and it's kind of the same thing with Mack and Naheem Hines. Colts don't want to do that. So they have been working a little more with Mack to get him a little more involved in the passing game. And you got to remember last year he was coming off the hamstring as well. They didn't want to see that flare up again. So he's been completely healthy all offseason. He's looked like the stud that he showed to be, you know, in the playoffs last year against the Texans. So yeah. I still think he will be slightly game dependent. There will be those times where they take him out when maybe they're down multiple scores. But he's still going to get his 15 to 25 touches per game. Um, I think the biggest thing is those touches might not be as high of quality with Andrew Luck not leading as many scoring drives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that makes total sense. And I'm trying to think of like where I slide Mack in now. Um, it would be good. He is a good pass catcher, so it'd be intriguing to see them use him in a more creative role. And that's been the talk all offseason is he is a three down back. They didn't really add anybody to compete with him. I personally have him slided in at 22 right now, right below kind of Terry on Johnson, Sony Michelle, and right above Mark Ingram. Does that seem like the right spot to you, or should I be a little higher or lower in your opinion? It seems about right. I would say the Sony Michelle range, he 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 projects very similarly to Sony Michelle because mm-hmm. both of them have another pass catching back on the team. Both of them, in when the team gets up and it's a run heavy script, are going to just feast. And both of them have some slight injury concerns. So I would say right in that Sony Michelle range is where you need them because they both have the same upside and they both have similar risks. Absolutely, yeah. So that that seems to make sense to me. Um, and you mentioned Naeem Hines. Is, is should we keep him on the fantasy radar as well? Is there any other running back? You know, Spencer Ware, I think, is there now. I don't know if there's been any news on him in camp. Is there any other Colts running backs beside Mac worth drafting? Honestly, one of the biggest concerns on this roster is if Mac goes down, what happens? Mm-hmm. Because Ware had an injury, and they actually um, released him. They're working on an oh. injury settlement with Ware. Um, they've since signed his buddy in Kansas City, Charkandrick West. That's right. That's what it is, yeah. Um, so he's there now. 
he's not very impressive. I think we all know <laughs> that. He's decent. He can come in in a pinch and not screw things up for you. But I, mm-hmm. I don't think Hines is worth owning unless Mac gets injured. Yeah, he might catch three to six passes per game, but he's not going to get you those touchdowns. He's not going to get you a ton of yards. I don't think he's worth it on a week-to-week basis. Okay, gotcha. Um, I agree, too. I, I don't really have him anywhere in my rankings that's draftable. There's just too many upside stabs you can take late that bring a lot more to the table. Um, and last year, we saw Eric Ebron just explode for 13 touchdowns. You mentioned Jack Doyle has some Pro Bowl season on under his belt, and that was with Brissett, too. Now they're both back together. I mean, Ebron's breakout, breakout happened a lot with Doyle out of the lineup, and then there's tons of stats about you know Doyle was targeted more when, when he was in there and had a higher snap share and all that. So with both of them back, I know a lot of owners are starting to panic and think that just neither one's really worth being my starting tight end. Do you agree with that assessment, or can we expect decent things out of these tight ends still? I kind of lean towards the first assessment a little more. I'm not really going to be targeting either of these guys during drafts because they're just going to vulture off of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you're going to own anybody, own Ebron because he's still going to be the touchdown guy. He's still the better mismatch weapon in the red zone. He can go up and get it. Um, Whereas Jack Doyle is kind of that reliable guy between the 20s. He's going to play far more snaps because he's a far better blocker and the Colts can be less predictable with Doyle on the field than Ebron. Um, but I would kind of expect it to shake out as Doyle's going to be the between-the-20s guy. He might, he'll probably get more targets and receptions than Ebron, but Ebron's going to have more big plays and he's going to have those touchdowns. You just don't know what weeks are going to come. So Ebron still remains a, a low-end tight end one, maybe right under Delaney Walker is where I would slide him. So if you missed out on... The first, second, third wave of tight ends. Ebron's yeah. kind of sitting there for you, and he'll get you a touchdown every every other week, every third week, something like that. Yeah, at that point of the draft, you're looking for just nothing more than a, a touchdown a week, and Brissett and him already connected on one of them this preseason, so may, maybe, maybe. And speaking of preseason usage, I meant to mention this with Marlon Mack, uh, but in all of Brissett's snaps when he's been the, the number one guy, Mack's been in for 16 of them, and Naeem Hines has only been in for two. And that includes all the third downs for the Colts, including a fourth and one. So maybe it is more of that three-down back role. I just wanted to toss that one out there before we uh, moved away. I completely forgot to mention it. Intriguing trend to uh, keep on the uh, Raiders, uh, the, the mind of our fantasy owners. Um, but you mentioned Devin Funches comes in here now, too. Uh, more competition in the red zone, a big body. Do you think, with luck, I love the fit because they're going to be in the red zone much more frequently when you had luck in there. Is there any reason to expect good things out of Funchess still? Is he the clear number two here? Or how's this fit kind of developing in Indianapolis? Uh, Funchess was thought to be the clear number two because Paris Campbell hadn't really practiced all Mm -hmm. offseason. But then he came back this past week and... He looked really good last night in the uh, preseason game against Cincinnati. I understand it's the fourth preseason game of the year. Nobody's really playing, but this was this kid's first NFL exposure. And you saw that speed. You saw the athleticism. He made catches away from his body. He showed you everything you wanted to see. So in an offense that might have to get a little more creative to to manufacture big plays, Paris Campbell all of a sudden becomes a little more enticing than Devin Funches. 
Um, and Funches had those back spasms pop up again this past week, and we saw how that derailed his season last year. Mm. So it's really hard to predict which of these Colts receivers is going to break out, if any, because like you said, there are so many weapons. Brissett gets in the red zone. He's got 6'4 Funches. He's got 6'6 Doyle. He's got 6'5 Ebron. So for a guy like Funches, where week to week he's probably going to get you three or four catches and 40 to 60 yards, you're really banking on that touchdown. He's basically like a tight end in the offense. So I like Funches and what he does for the offense, but I think for fantasy purposes, like you said earlier when we are talking about um, Naheem Hines, there's just going to be better, more high upside options at the end of your draft for you. And one guy I think that might have higher upside, you mentioned Campbell. I think his speed is great. Uh, you mentioned you know Frank Reich's scheme lets playmakers kind of do all the work for the, the quarterback. He's perfect in that, and you mentioned how he looked so great last night. Another guy who's looked great all preseason, though, and that's another, you know, brings up the issue of who is going to be that true number two is Deion Kane. And I know last year he was all the talk of camp. I know you told me to have me, like have Deion Kane on the radar in the spring. You're like, this guy is killing it. And, of course, the ACL tear derails his rookie season. That was looking like it was in a promising uh, trajectory there. But he's come back on fire. 12 catches, 169 yards, and two scores this preseason. Is he potentially the number two guy? Should we be hyped up about him? Higher upside than than Funchess? Where do you see Deion Kane sliding into all this? I think at the moment, Deion's still number four. Um, He's going to get worked in. Something interesting I definitely want to say for the listeners is that on Monday, Frank Wright was asked how Andrew Luck leaving is going to change this offense, if they're going to do anything different schematically. Uh, And he said, no, they're still going to run the same offense. Brissett's been running it all offseason. We're not going to change what we do. We built up this great offense, but we didn't build it up for Andrew Luck. We built it to be great, period. Um, You know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he was saying. And when you think about the division, it makes sense. You know, slowing the game down and trying to run the ball more plays right into the hands of Tennessee and Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make sense to do that within the division because you're then you're playing down to them, yeah. whereas the Colts in the past would just pass the ball, score more points than those teams. And I think that's if they're going to be successful in the division this year, that's what they're going to have to continue to do. So if anything, maybe if it was 60-40 pass run in – with Andrew Luck, maybe it's fifty-five to forty-five with Brissett, but they're still gonna they're still gonna sling the ball out there, and I think mm-hmm. Kane is gonna get his options, and I think he becomes fantasy relevant if Paris Campbell or Devin Funches go down again with an injury. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Now, I wonder one thing I always like in fantasy. Well, I don't like, but I don't want a quarterback one to go down. But when they do, I often look at the the second receivers who might have been working a lot with the the scout team and whatnot. I know that's not the case necessarily here because Brissett's been the number one guy, and you cited why that put, should mean good things for T.Y. Hilton still. I just didn't know if those two might have had a, a pre-established rapport early on in Deion Kane. You know, were they doing a lot of work together? Is there any reason to think Kane might have a better rapport with Brissett than some of these other guys? Or... Is it just, you know, all these guys now that Brissett's been the guy have, have kind of established that chemistry? Yeah, I would say not so much. Maybe last year before yeah. Kane's injury, he would have been working with Brissett a lot more. I think it was a six-round pick, so I can't imagine as a rookie he was working too much with the ones last offseason before yeah. the injury. 
Um, but this year he's really, you know, early in the offseason, he was still kind of working his way back from that ACL. And throughout much of the preseason, he's not been working with Brissett. It's okay. been it's been Chad Kelly, Swag it's been Philip Walker. Swag Kelly, yeah, it's my boy. boy I, I really hope Swag makes a team because he's been balling out there, but he's <laughs> yes. got a suspension the first two weeks, so it's going to make it hard for him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Deion Kane by the end of the season, might surpass Devin Funches. That's entirely possible, and I think the Colts in the back of their minds are hoping that he does so that yeah. they can just let Funches walk. He's only on a one-year deal. So uh, Deion Kane's definitely someone to have on your radar, but I don't think he's draftable or ownable right now. Gotcha. Alrighty, that wraps up all our Colts coverage here, but I know you said you might have a few fantasy questions for me as you enter your drafts. Any any burning questions you want to get the Wolves' insight on before you, you get ready for your drafts this weekend? I absolutely do. One <laughs> at the top, I, I pick, most of my picks this year are late in the first round, so mm. kind of that second tier of running backs is what I've been considering. And, you know, early in the offseason, I've been a mixing guy. I was all mixing but then he loses uh, Jonah Williams, offensive lineman who was supposed to make things better. A.J. Green goes down. Very doubtful he's going to be healthy this year. So the you thought the state of the offense was going to be a little better earlier. You thought James Conner, who's the other guy in this dilemma, might have been headed towards a committee. Mm-hmm. Neither of those things look to be the case anymore. And recently, I've been starting to think Conner's been a little overlooked over this draft process. What do you think, James Conner or Joe Mixon? I mean, you kind of narrated my exact thought process on this entire situation, whereas I had Joe Mixon five overall entering the offseason when everything looked roses and was trending the right way for that guy. And at at that time, James Conner was all about Jalen Samuels complimented him so well, and they're going to find a role for him and whatnot. And so I, I had those two definitely on opposite ends of the spectrum in early spring, but we know early spring means nothing. And when we get to the training camp and you can read some preseason usage, Connor's been in for 29 of 34 offensive snaps with the first team. And that includes, you know, even in their dress rehearsal, he ran nine routes. So it wasn't like they were subbing in Jalen Samuels for this standalone pass catching back role. And why would that? I mean, Jalen maybe is a smoother receiver because he was that role in college, but James Connor showed very well as a receiver, as a three down threat. And he's looked even more explosive I want to say this year than he did last year so I I go Connor he's in fact risen all the way up to my fifth running back on fifth overall even over David Johnson at this point um just look at it you're like what what's there not to like about this guy if he's guaranteed that workhorse role which was the question mark whether this is going to be a committee or whatnot it seems to me based on their usage and just how they've always run it I mean six straight years a Steelers running back has been a top six running back in fantasy and that could be a a no-name talent it doesn't even matter who it was. So I just think that trend continues. It's a top five line. Big Ben, even though he lost some weapons, will still make this a, a top 10 offense in the league. And there's just far less questions with Connor than really anybody else in that tier between Gurley's knee and mixing with that offense and, and A.J. Green and Nick Chubb, what happens when Kareem Hunt comes back and Cook's injury history. I love all those guys if they hit their ceilings. But to me, James Connor's floor is significantly higher than all of them. Uh, so, so I go him. He's, he's my guy at this point. Absolutely, absolutely. And then and f- 15 touchdowns, too, from Antonio Brown. They got to go somewhere. They might not put up as many points, right? But think about how good Connor was at the stripe. There's some historic efficiency stats I don't have off the top of my head, but he- he's a beast. Yeah, what were you going to say, though? I didn't mean to, to cut you off. I was just going to say the last thing I kind of thought about, because with the Steelers team, we kind of thought they were going to take a major step back that doesn't look that 
to be the case. It might be addition by subtraction with Antonio Brown. And then you look at the team's defenses, Bengals might be playing from behind a lot more than the Steelers will. So I think mm-hmm. I think uh, you and I together just kind of talked me into James Conner there. If he's there, then yeah, no doubt. I would take him anywhere five and beyond. I got him in the second round in a draft last night, and it was just I, I had David Johnson and him because I knew Conner might fall, and and I was pumped that they did. But I have Conner even over David Johnson at this point. I mean, my fourth running back if Zeke doesn't show up. Awesome. That's great yeah. to hear. Well, I, I'm definitely going to try and get several shares of him this weekend. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, sticking with running backs here, there's kind of that second round running back tier with Chris Carson, um, for me, David Montgomery, and then on Johnson. Mm-hmm. Chris Carson kind of seems like he might be the safe running back too in all that tier there, but the upside of the other guys kind of makes you pause. What do you think of that three? I love Carson. I have him actually five or six spots higher than Carryon Johnson. David Montgomery is my second guy on that list. He's two spots after Chris Carson in my ranking. And I'm higher than most on Carson. He's my running back 14, whereas I think he finds himself right around 18 to 20 on most rankings. So I am much higher than him. But what's not to love about this guy? I mean, he was the clear focal point of that backfield last year, which led the league with 33.8 rush attempts in the in the league uh, per game, 160 rush yards per game, both led the league and then now they talk about more involvement in the past game Mike Davis is removed he led the team with 42 targets last year they're saying they should expect at least 50 targets uh for for Chris Carson this year that he has the best hands on the team I mean obviously Pete Carroll doing Pete Carroll things and just blowing all his players but at the same time I mean Carson is a receiver that they didn't really use so you're looking at a Russell Wilson offense maybe not the most high scoring attack but will always be efficient will keep the, the the offense on the field after you know third downs Rashad Penny's Look like complete shit this entire preseason, and they all the writers as a result have said this is a you know they originally projected a one a one b, and now everyone's kind of saying this is a one two situation. It's sixty five or more percent Carson and. and Penny comes in for the scraps. So you remove Davis, you give this guy more volume, and he already was the, a top 15 running back last year, the RB5 actually, when he came back from injury for that second half of the season. I don't see why he doesn't pick up where he left off and, and even more with receiving upside. He's my guy. I mean, the injury concerns are real. He's missed some time in both years, but I don't know. I, I think everything about Carson is is so strong. I actually put him more to the, and I don't know actually how your ranking shake out, but like Aaron Jones, Damian Williams, I love those guys too, and I have him more aligned with them than Carryon Johnson and David Montgomery. Where, where do you have those guys? You consider them in that same tier? I would kind of put Jones and Williams below Montgomery and Johnson for me. Um, I, I don't know why, but I've never been a huge Aaron Jones guy. I, I just want to see that he can carry the low. He doesn't. When you look at him on the field, he kind of looks like a scat back. He doesn't look like a big bulking back mm-hmm. who can carry the load every down. So. I have questions about him, and then I have even more questions about Damian Williams. And at the top of my draft, rounds one, two, and kind of three, I try to play it safe because if you miss on those, it really sets you back. And then from there on, I start getting a lot riskier. I gotcha. uh, but, uh, but that's a good point with Carson. A lot of what you said kind of sounded like James Conner, where earlier we thought mm-hmm. this might be a committee. 
now that we know it's not, we're like, we'll saddle on up. Let's do this then. Yeah. Yeah. And I think with carry on too, everyone loves him. I mean, he's the most, he's higher than all these guys on nearly every experts list, but this guy has an extensive injury history dating back to college. He never really has handled that load, as you mentioned with Jones and you know, the line's going to be that great. I love Bevel as a, in terms of his value for carry on a very run heavy coordinator, but what about CJ Anderson? It's not like he's going to disappear and they used to feed blunt, you know, 10 useless carries a game, and this is a better LeGarrette Blunt, in my opinion, going to probably steal goal line work. They're saying Ty Johnson, and you know, all the receiving work is going to go to carry on, but then this undrafted rookie's catching a ton of balls in camp, and they're saying he could carve out a third down role, so maybe that's a souped-up Riddick, and now it's like, are we back into that between-the-20s hell that we were originally thought he might have escaped? I don't know. Carry on, to me, is probably the most overrated running back in fantasy, in my opinion. Yeah, that kind of leads into my next question here was, is C.J. Anderson being slept on? Everyone always brings him up when they're talking about carry-on, but I haven't heard anyone speaking of any C.J. Anderson value in himself. You know, if he's going to be getting these carries, he'll probably score some points. So is he being someone that, you know, drafters are sleeping on in the later rounds? I, I hardly ever see him drafted. He goes undrafted in nearly every league, and I think absolutely. I mean, you got the handcuff with benefit style uh, role, in my opinion, with you mentioned carry-on's injury history. If CJ and you know if that flares up, you're looking at a probably three down horse in this offense that's going to be very run heavy. And even if not, you know he's in my opinion the likeliest bet to be their goal line hammer. I, I was thinking about that too. I was like, why have I not read anything on on CJ Anderson at all? So I kind of googled so his name. Unsexy. It's not nothing sexy about it, other than the fact that he's thick as all hell. <laughs> <laughs> but, I guess he's just not my type. Of it. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah, yeah not, not most people's type. But I, I love my thick ass running backs that. You talk about Jones isn't a, a you know sturdy horse. You look at Anderson, and he doesn't look like he can run too far, but that man can take a pounding on the football <laughs> okay, field. Some people, three uh, he, can, he can bowl through some people. And I, we've already seen Patricia. I, I just Googled him because I'm like, I haven't read anything about this guy. What is Patricia saying? And he, I, I pulled it up, and you remember, you know, he's had some huge games against the Patriots defense with the Broncos, and, and Patricia was raving about, again, paraphrasing, but you know this guy's the hard-nosed runner we thought we were getting. He's no-nonsense, just kind of gets downhill and gets what he's supposed to do. I mean, that's what Patricia wants. He wants a guy that's going to do exactly what you expect, uh, you know, bowl through the defense, get those grinded out yards if they have a lead. I, I think he's going to be much more involved than people think. Um, and it, it maybe it doesn't carve out a consistent enough standalone role that you could use right away. But in terms of stashing and if you needed a, a flex option that might have a shot at a touchdown, and if anything ever does happen to carry on, I, I see a lot of value in him that, that's going completely unrecognized. That's an interesting name you brought up just because how unsexy it is no one wants to talk about him but I think there is some sneaky sex appeal to uh to CJ Anderson with the Lions here I think so too he might not be a player that I draft but I'm definitely going to keep an eye on him and he might end up on a sneaky stashes article this year as I like well. it yeah absolutely um last running back question here I'm not a big fan of going after handcuffs but there's kind of two that I've really um really pinpointed here and that's Zeke and uh, Tony Pollard and Dalvin Cook and uh, Madison in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Those are the two guys where they kind of, A, they're going late enough in drafts. Um, hopefully, Pollard's kind of been creeping up. But in yeah. B, their situations are so good if the league guy does go down. They seem to be, you know, standalone backups, not guys who would be thrust into a committee at that time. Do you think it's worth handcuffing with those two situations? 
Oh, absolutely. You look at the injury concern with Dalvin Cook. I think you have to handcuff him with Madison, who they've been gushing about this entire camp. That you know, I think the quote was they're in love with Madison or something along those lines. And you know, I, I've talked so much extensively about why I love Dalvin Cook this year. Obviously, the talent is first, and he's just so explosive. We saw that on that 85-yard touchdown run. But a huge part of it too is this new blocking scheme they're implementing, the zone blocking scheme of Gary Kubiak, that has made monsters out of nobodies. Landis Gary's and Mike Anderson's of the world. So if he ended up, if the injury history does rear its ugly head, which, you know, huge chance of that with Dalvin Cook so far in his career, then you're looking at a three-down horse behind this scheme that's made 1,500-yard rushers out of nobodies. I think he absolutely has to be owned as an insurance policy to Dalvin Cook. And then Pollard, you got a guy that's maybe not showing up in Zeke Elliott. Jerry Jones yesterday just said, we expect him to miss regular season games. That's a top five offensive line. He's looked unbelievable in his time so far. Tony Pollard has. I mean, they had like a, I think, 13-play drive. They're backed up to their end zone. He touched the ball in seven or eight of those times. They march all the way down the field. He gets a 14-yard touchdown at the end of it. He looked like he was that Zeke Elliott-style engine to the offense. He's not Zeke Elliott. I'm not trying to compare the two at all. But it looked like he'd have that same role that's made Zeke such a monster these last couple seasons. So, yeah, round 10 rolls its head around. I'm left definitely looking at Pollard. Another guy, though, if you said you're not in the hand, because I got to make sure he's on your radar is Darwin Thompson. Uh, might, might not even be a handcuff. Might just take this job because he's so much more talented than Damian Williams. And I don't mean so much more, but he just looks so explosive. I, I don't think he touched the ball last night because they were resting him. Carlos Hyde played all the snaps, which suggests he's probably on his way out. So that's why I do like Damian Williams to start the year, at least. It seems like he has that goal line role that led to 10 touchdowns in six games last year, kind of sewed up. But at a certain point, I mean, Darwin Thompson keeps making play after play after play. At round 9-10, a shot at the potential Chiefs running back, as explosive as he is, that guy could be a definite season winner down the stretch. So I'm a huge fan of Darwin. I would probably take him over both guys. Um, that, that's my like round 9 guy I have to have in almost every league. So you're talking about kind of if you don't have Damien, you'd rather go for Dar- Darwin alone? Or even if I have Aaron, Damien and Darwin, if I have Damien, I definitely want to lock up Darwin. But even if I don't, and that's the same thing with you know Zeke and Pollard, and even Madison, like I don't have to own that lead guy to then get his handcuff. If I see the the value in the situation behind him, and I see some injury risk, or I see a holdout or whatnot, just because I don't have the guy doesn't mean I'm gonna you know cut myself off to his handcuff. Uh, if the situation would be so ripe for that guy to go in, and when you're looking at those rounds, it's like. You're probably not finding a starter unless somebody goes down anyways. Every now and again, you find like the, those you know Camaras and people that just blow the door off and are insane right from the start. But that's so far in few between that like you just want to evaluate the situations, the platforms of these great running backs and what guys would just step into that platform and be able to have very similar success if they get that role. And I look at Thompson's platform. I look at Madison's. I look at Pollard's. I think all of those guys, I mean, Jalen Samuels, we've raved about Connor, but if you're going to get Connor, I would make sure you have Jalen Samuels for that Steelers platform. I do like getting handcuffs late in rounds, you know, 10, 11, 12, just to see what happens. Cause you're not using too many people off your bench at that point. Anyways. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I definitely, the later in the draft, the more I like the handcuff. That's kind of been why I've been avoiding um, the Chargers situation is because Austin Eckler goes so high. Now you got to use two of your mid round picks on one player. You're not going to start both Gordon and Eckler. Mm-hmm. And you're using two bench spots on 
basically one guy. So uh, definitely if at the right price, I will go for a handcuff. Just a couple more questions here for Please, you. As many on, as you want. <laughs> uh, moving on to receivers. Uh, we kind of hit on it earlier. Tyler Lockett, Chris Godwin are two guys whose names have been really close in basically everyone's rankings. And then after mm-hmm. Andrew Luck, I think T.Y. Hilton falls into that as well. Um, which guy are you putting first? If, if you're sitting there in the middle of drafts, you need your wide receiver too, and all three are still on the board. Which one are you going for? I know Chris Godwin might get more volume in a passing offense, but be the number two. And then Lockett's the clear number one, but in a lesser passing offense. So how do you kind of balance that? Yeah, I mean, you brought up two of my favorite guys. That just makes this debate tough is if I can get both of these guys, they're my two number one candidates to be those like four or five round receivers that explode and you're, you're getting wide receiver one numbers by the end of it. I've said that a few times this offseason. I love them both. So if I can get them both, then by all means, you know, round four and five turn. If you're in the first round, you have three running backs and you can get those two guys, you're going to have a juggernaut team. But if, if it's one or the other and you, you don't have the choice, I do go Lockett slightly above him. I have Lockett as my wide receiver 14, Godwin as my 15. So they're literally neck and neck. Um, but I just think with Lockett, historically efficient last year. I mean, 57th in targets, but 14th in fantasy points. A perfect passer rating from Russell Wilson last year whenever he targeted Tyler Lockett. And then you get Doug Baldwin leaving. So everyone talks about he's got to regress. He can't maintain that yard per catch and all those crazy stats. Probably true. I mean, if it's literally perfect, it being perfect two seasons in a row would be pretty difficult. But I think that volume does spike up a bit because Baldwin's gone. He's averaged around 115 targets a year as the lead guy. So if Lockett goes from, you know, 80 targets to 115 and maintains 80% of that efficiency, let's say, then I don't see any reason why he's not even better, even with regression. Everyone, regression, regression, regression. Sure, he might regress and still be better. Uh, So I like Lockett. There's some reports that came out too during camp and OTAs that the team has made like, uh, it was Brock Heward, their reporter for the last 11 years. He said, in 11 years, I've never seen the team make such a concerted effort to get a guy the ball as they have Tyler Lockett this offseason. He said, they've been moving him in the backfield and the slot out, out wide and just you never know where he's going to be and with very questionable receivers behind him I think those targets definitely spike if he's going to be used in such a chess piece style role then maybe he does and and Hewitt did say he's going to catch 100 balls so if he catches 100 balls then Tyler Lockett's going to have a mammoth like Tyree Kill style season so to me that ceiling's just a little bit higher as much as I love Godwin in the slot for Bruce Arians and Arians has already called him a 100 catch guy I think if both guys end up with 100 catches, Tyler Lockett's are going to be much more productive. Uh, and so I side with him, and as much as I love both these guys, get them both if you can, but Tyler Lockett if it's one or the other. Gotcha. Will do. All right, I'll go for Lockett. Um, last couple questions here. O.J. Howard versus Hunter Henry. This one's been killing me. Um, originally, I was on Howard because I thought there's so many weapons in that Chargers offense, you know. Mm-hmm how many touchdowns are going to be left for Henry. But then the more I thought about it, Cameron Bright's still there in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, he's still got two stud receivers to compete with. And Arians, I know he's not dumb. He'll use his talented weapons, but he's never really been a huge tight end, guys, mm-hmm. whereas Phillip Rivers has loved his tight ends over with the Chargers. So, you know, they're kind of neck and neck in everybody's rankings, but when I'm sitting there in the fifth, sixth round looking for a tight end, I got to choose one of these guys. Who are you going with? 
I'm going OJ Howard. I have him actually a couple spots above Henry in my rankings. I, I love this guy. I'm not too worried about Brate. And in terms of years past, they've kind of had a, an even snap share. But already this preseason, I think it's something like OJ Howard's been in like 25 of 27 first team snaps. He's had that true every down role for the first time. And there haven't been huge numbers or anything to that. It's been the Godwin show this preseason. But I still think, you know, if he becomes that every down player, that's really all he needs, along with health, to truly ascend to that elite like Kelsey Kittle uh, Ertz tier because this guy is composed like nobody else in the NFL. He's 6'6", 40. He runs a faster 40 than Mike Evans. Uh, and you think about Bruce Arians, a lot of people do bring up that fact that he doesn't use his tight ends too much, but you're looking at Rob Hustler and Jermaine Gresham as compared to this physical freak O.J. Howard, the, the picturesque tight end that you could ever scheme up. And when you look at what Arians does, it's all about the no risk it, no biscuit, he calls it. And it's all about mismatches and getting deep. If you got a tight end that's averaged 16.6 yards per catch these last two years, which has been league high for both of them, that can move as fast as he can at 6'6", I mean, that fits exactly what Arians wants to do. So I imagine him moving Howard all over the place, getting him deep, streaking down the field. I'm a huge fan of O.J. Howard. And I think, you know, you mentioned those concerns with Henry a little bit more. Both guys face some target competition. And Philip Rivers does love his tight end in the end zone, I think it was something like Henry's last healthy year, he targeted his tight ends like 42% of the time in the red zone, which was by far the most in the league. So there is significant tight touchdown upside. He can get vertical as well. There's tons of stats that support Hunter Henry getting deep uh, yards per catch and all that. But I just think Howard edges him out pretty significantly athletically. So if we're looking at two kind of congested situations, I'm going to side with the guy that that is just the physical freak that's just looming on a breakout for these last two years and only needs health. Both these guys, though, I do love. But to me, it's O.J. Howard. That's a good point. And I guess something I just kind of thought of here was when you're looking at tiebreakers like this, defensively, Tampa Bay is going to be playing from behind a lot more than San Diego is. So Mm. I guess he just kind of talked me into O.J. Howard there. Um, (laughs) If I miss out on Howard or Henry... Are you going Jared Cook or Vance McDonald? Uh, Jared Cook, in theory, is in a great situation, but that's what I thought about Kobe Fleener a few years ago as well. That didn't work out. Um, I feel like a lot of people have recency bias with Jared Cook. He's coming off a career year where you look at his numbers in the past, he hasn't put up anything like that before. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of seemed to be out of necessity with the Raiders because they just didn't have anyone else to throw to. So... Vance McDonald, you know, he's entering a better situation, but people forget about his injury history. People forget about, I don't know. I, I, I'm just kind of neck and neck with both these guys. What do you think? Did you completely cross out Evan Ingram at all? Or do you, you know, have you thought about him too? Or I'll get to those I, two guys. Don't worry. But I just didn't know if he's on your list at all either. Ingram's kind of in that Howard Hunter Henry tier. But mm-hmm. to me personally, I would rather have, O.J. Howard or Hunter Henry than every Evan Ingram. Me too, yeah. I just don't like the offense as much. He's shown he's a small tight end. He kind of reminds me of Jordan Reed. I think he's – I don't want to labor him injury prone, but I'm kind of worried about injuries with him, mm-hmm. um, which sounds weird because it's Hunter Henry coming off the injury, but that's kind of a fluky ACL and practice yeah. type of thing. Um, so you so, said that next wave of tight ends, though. You kind of had him with those two guys, and you, you wouldn't take had, that plunge on him. Yeah, Exactly. It's uh, gotcha. I think he's in the tier with those guys. Just me, personally, I'd rather have both of them. So, it, And he's going – I actually see him go before Henry and Howard a lot. So yeah. 
where he's going, I'm just not going to end up with him this year. Gotcha. So we'll, we'll consider Cook and McDonald then. And to me, I, I have Cook a spot above McDonald, but I also have him in a tier above him too. So in my opinion, it's definitely Cook. I get the the career year. He led tight ends uh, or second in tight end targets behind only Zach Ertz, who set records for tight end targets last year. He's not going to see that volume in New Orleans. So we can already peg him for a significant less target share. But I do think the quality of those targets spike pretty significantly with the Saints. I mean, think about what Cook does well. He's a 6'5 guy with a 40-inch vertical, and they live in the red zone, these Saints teams, as long as Breeze is still Breeze. And I I haven't seen any reason to expect him to drop off. He's been in the top three of pro football focuses accuracy grades for however many years running. So you got a body like that with the athleticism like that in the red zone and a guy that can put the ball wherever he wants it and breeze, even if the yards take a hit and the targets take a hit. I could see those touchdowns being monstrous with Jared Cook. And Breeze has already said this guy's a huge catch radius. We've been relying on it. We have a lot of those 50-50 balls. He gives you the confidence he's going to win them every time. So you got that praise from Breeze coming. Then Sean Payton says, you know, after the catch, this guy's been a monster in camp. Uh, and just you have that type of ability, the screens and whatnot, if they use it. The tight end coach comes out and says, we're dusting off the old Jimmy Graham plays in the playbook. So <laughs> I know we've been chasing it. You mentioned Kobe Fleener. we've been kind of all been trying to find that next Jimmy Graham and we haven't been able to do it. And I don't think Cook's going to have, you know, that Jimmy Graham 1,315 TD style season. But as the, you know, behind Thomas, behind Kamara, there's really no one else that's clear cut number three there. I think Cook slides in pretty nicely, especially in the red zone. And that role, uh, he's more of an every down guy too, whereas McDonald, the, the Randy Fickner comes out. I don't know if you saw that quote where he was like, no, never. He'll never be a full down player. It's like, what? He, he was like almost over the top with how much he was like, he'll never play every snap. <clears throat> if he was an every down snap guy, it'd be different for me. But if they're going to be, you know, still that 50%, 60% snap share, I love McDonald. I love him in this offense. But if he's not on the field that often, uh, you feel like there could be a lot more duds in addition to those blowups. And I have McDonald as my tight end. I missed out on Cook by a pick. And I ended up going McDonald. So I'm hoping for big things from this guy. He's a monster after the catch. I mean, George Kittle's breakout really was all about yards after the catch. Vance McDonald, I think, only trailed him in yards after the catch last year per attempt. So you, you try to project similar style breakouts, huge uptick in usage for Kittle. Could we expect a similar uptick in usage for McDonald with 220 targets now up for grabs? Probably. But if he's not on the field every down, I don't know. Cook just feels a little bit safer with a with a higher touchdown ceiling, in my opinion. So I go him. Um, but McDonald does slide in right after him at number eight, uh, just a tier below him, in my opinion. Gotcha. All right. Your, uh, your boy, I forget his name, but you had him on in probably the last podcast or the one before, and he kind of talked about Drew Brees sign- showed some signs of slowing down like Peyton did before the drop-off. So that kind of scared me with yeah. New Orleans. But it's, it's good to hear you're still on Jared Cook because that's who I was favoring at the beginning of the year. And mm-hmm. um, that's probably who I'll go with if I miss out on that kind of tier of O.J. Howard, Hunter, Henry. Yeah, um, and after I those guess... guys, it's like, who the fuck do you even go? At that point, you know, that's where you're talking about Ebron. Like, let's take a touchdown stab. Maybe Delaney Walker gets significant volume, but... There's so many weapons around him. It's like after McDonald and maybe Austin Hooper is like an every down tight end in a good offense with the Falcons, but I don't love Najoku. A lot of people do. Maybe Hawkinson breaks out. Maybe Andrews breaks out, but like it becomes a complete crapshoot after those guys. So once Cook and McDonald are off the board, that's where I'm like, I'm not even worrying about this position. I'll just take some guy in round 15 and just 
figure it out from there. So hopefully, but I don't like doing that. I'd rather have one of these guys. But I thought you brought out like kind of like that last cutting point for me right there. Yeah, my kind of goal afterwards is to find somebody to get me through until um until Chris Herden comes back in I, I think week five. Yep, four he's suspended games four games, yeah. and yeah. then they have the bye week. So I I don't oh, think he's wow. back till like week six, six. or something yeah. like that. So I'm not trying to. It, it's that odd situation because I can't draft him and keep him on my bench for five weeks. So I got to yeah. kind of play the way fire and play chicken with everybody to see when I pick him up. I if I miss out the first few guys. Um, last question here. Um, not really a question as much, but somebody who's kind of sneakily been on my radar as a breakout quarterback who I think has been overlooked because there's so many breakout potential quarterbacks this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Mitch Trubisky doesn't get talked about enough, in my opinion. I understand a lot of people don't like him as much as like a real NFL quarterback, but for fantasy purposes, he showed he could really blow up in some games last year. For a guy who's now entering his second year in the scheme, second year with this new offense, which is basically remade last year. I mean, Gabriel, Anthony Miller, Robinson, Burton, those were all their first years in the offense as well. So I kind of expect Trubisky to take a big step forward, and he still does a lot with his legs, and I think he's kind of getting overlooked. I wanted to hear your opinions on Trubisky. Yeah, the the leg points is especially a factor that no one seems to talk about. This guy is a really good athlete and had some of those. I I was at the Patriots and Bears game last year, and he ran all over us. I think he had like 100-yard rushing, so there is that upside with Trubisky. I think the only counter I have to everything you said, it's all so true. I love Nagy's offense. I love year two of the chemistry. Maybe Trubisky takes a step forward, is that there's just so many quarterbacks that go around him that I just like better as players. And I think his situation might be better than some of these guys. But, you know, oftentimes I'll side with the talent when it's that late in terms of trying to chase a blow up. And a lot of the camp reports on this guy are he doesn't look like he's taken a year or two leap, that he's been very inconsistent day to day, throwing a lot of interceptions. That's kind of what killed him last year is his final numbers look pretty solid, but it would be like six touchdowns in the Bucks in the first half. And then he would just disappear and get you like a three point day and you're, you're completely screwed. So I do think there's some upside. He was like my number two quarterback, QB two target of last year. And it worked out pretty well if you got him in the right matchups, but where it's so saturated this year, like do you take Trubisky over Allen or Lamar Jackson or Sam Darnold or Kirk Cousins? Maybe you do. And you can make the case. I have him in that tier with those guys, but I have him at the bottom of that tier. I, I think Allen, it breaks out you know, far harder with the, the better rushing ability, and he's looked much better as a thrower. Jackson's elite athleticism can't really be passed up on in case he does develop that arm. I just love the way the Jets have looked this entire preseason, kind of a breakneck pace under Gase, which is complete departure from his past since, since Peyton Manning's year, which they moved no huddle almost all the time. He hasn't had a quarterback, though, that, that he could really operate with, and now Darnold seems to really be in that next year to leap where I don't see that leap coming from Trubisky as a player. I see it from Darnold. So I'd rather side with any of those three guys and I'm not drafting a third QB. So I see the case for Mitch and maybe he does blow up and and just gets that much better in this great offense that he has around him. I don't know though. I just don't love the player. So it's more about the opportunity costs, just other guys I'd rather have above him. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. I understand when you're when you're betting on the scheme rather than player talent, that can be definitely risky. Um, I, I, I just, I, I would agree. I would probably take Lamar Jackson and uh, Josh Allen above him. 
I still think he has much higher upside than Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'd still take him above Darnold as well, just because he'll give you more with his legs. Um, but I agree with you. There's just so many potential breakout quarterbacks this year that you might be able to get Trubisky on the cheap if you had Andrew Luck and he's sitting there. Or yeah. you know, there, there's a lot of options this year at quarterback. So I guess you probably no one needs to be told this again, but wait on quarterback yeah. because you might even be able to pick up a top ten guy from the waiver wire this year. Absolutely, yeah, fully with you. I mean, look at what Mahomes did last year. It's the QB fifteen in average draft position, like. A historic season. There's totally that type of upside with so many of these guys this year. So yeah, you can't, you cannot take a quarterback early. As good as Mahomes is, as good as Deshaun Watson is, it just makes no sense to me. So yeah, I'm fully with you there. Gotcha. Well, that's all the questions I've had. Nice. You set me up pretty well for uh, my drafts coming up. I feel Hell like yeah. I have clarity now, and uh, I'm ready to kick some ass, including your ass. You beat me in the championship <laughs> last year. So oh I'm yeah. For it. I haven't <laughs> forgot. Absolutely, man. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to get that one going. That should be coming up in uh, a few more days. Yeah, we only have a few more days, so yeah. we'll, we'll be reconnecting then, and I look forward to not having my ass kicked and destroying you once more. <laughs> Dude, Let's good. Do it. Great catching up, my man. That, that was awesome. Colts insight. I'm glad I could answer some fantasy questions and obviously reach out during the drafts if you have any dilemmas that pop up. Will do, absolutely. And if I could just pump a little uh, social media and stuff here. Um, Please do. People can find me at Roto Street Joe on Twitter. Um, all the Colts fans listening, check out the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Um, it's myself, it's Dave Griffiths, who's a sportscaster um, at Fox 59 and CBS 4, and uh, Mike Chappell, who's been covering the team since they moved to Indianapolis in the 80s. I believe 85, I don't know. I wasn't born yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so please check that out we do that weekly tons of great Colts insight no one more knows more about the team than Mike Chappell um, so uh, we need, could always use more listeners so that, download to that for me yeah and hopefully if you listen today you can tell Joe knows his football stuff and he wouldn't recommend or work for somebody like that, that if, if he didn't believe in it and so this, it's a great show Joe's always doing a fantastic job so if you're listening now make sure you tune into Joe and his fantasy takes and his Colts takes because this guy knows his stuff uh, and definitely one of the best up and comers my man you're gonna you got you got a good career in the fantasy Colts whichever way you end up going you know your football <laughs> so I always enjoy shooting the fantasy stuff with you it's the best Yeah, I kind of got my foot in both right now. So I appreciate you uh, letting me come on and uh, good talking to you, my man. Hell yeah. Have a great rest of your day, my man. Thanks again. You too. See ya. Cheers. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, oh, oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go. But at least we stole the show 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 Old-fashioned football right there, folks.